Well, welcome back to part two of our interview with Dr. Dane Agley, our friend and brother in Christ. And uh, if you've listened to the first episode, which was last week, uh, you know uh, why this guy's a high-impact man and why we kept him for this specific time in the podcast because this is episode 52, which should wrap up one year of weekly podcasts. Finish up the first year with a bang. Yeah, so if you don't know by now, this is Nevin Gorky. I'm your host, uh, known as D-Fib to my F3 brothers. Troy Klinger is my co-host, known as Dial-Up to, uh, to everyone in F3. And Dial-Up, the, uh, the first uh, first half of this interview was, was I think, really motivating, encouraging, and enlightening, right? And, yeah. Uh, for everybody. Yeah, how often do you get to have a, a, a guest that can talk about sitting in the Oval Office with the President of the United States, right? Right. And uh, kind of share that behind the scenes. Yeah, so I'm not going to go through. Yes, yeah, exactly right. I'm not going to go through uh, his big bio and CV because uh, I said I, I introduced uh, him last episode. With that, uh, we're going to continue uh, from where we left off. We left off. Uh, Doctor Eggley had left the White House, uh, and uh, he is in Colorado now, finishing out his Coast Guard career, and uh, things just take off after that. So we're going to uh, talk about uh, his work at Johns Hopkins and in Los Alamos, and uh, back in the belly of the beast, and then uh, where he is now, out in uh, Saudi Arabia, doing consulting for Homeland Security, and the book he authored, the books he's authored, and uh, the book that uh, he's planning on. Yep. And along the way, we're going to talk about the most important thing. Uh, to him and to us, and that is uh, his faith and his faithful journey uh, with the Lord through all of this. And uh, and anyway, we're just going to get started. So last, uh, so Dane, welcome back to the podcast. By the way, thank you very much, uh, Dfib and uh, Dialup. All right, yeah. For those that don't know, Dane's F three name is Cutter. He uh, we mentioned it last episode. Uh, he does uh, belong to our packs here at Susquehanna Valley, uh, and uh, and he's uh, by the way run his twenty eighth marathon. Uh, at the recording of this podcast, it was uh, this uh, uh, last weekend, but uh, this will be airing about three weeks from now. Yeah. So yeah, maybe he'll run another marathon Wh- between. When's, when's the next one? Are you doing? <laughs> are you going to get back from Marine Corps in the fall? I just do one a year. Uh, that way, I have something to shoot for. Yeah. But at this stage of life, I think it's a good it's a good rhythm because I just use the base base running throughout the year, and then maybe three months before I. I do the ramp up, and if I if I have time, and if uh, circumstances permit, if not, I just make it a workout like this one was. Mm-hmm. And then the last uh, one thing I will say though, when you run a forty-two kilometer in the metric system, you you have more frequent <laughs> signposts, right? Yeah, not miles. You know, it's not twenty-six point two; it's forty forty-two point. And and I found it. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I like that better because do, I, I was knocking them off mm-hmm. it's just psychologically. So I was just, I was just going to ask. So over so over there, do they mark every? Do they mark every K? Um, it was probably every every third one. Every third yeah. one. Okay. Yeah, I, I never even thought about that because like if, if you run a marathon here in the states, oftentimes you know it's every mile, but then oftentimes they'll mark every five K. Um, and I was I was thinking it's like yeah, if they mark every K, yeah, that would they would click off pretty. Yeah, pretty quick. Pretty quick. Yeah. yeah. Knock yeah, it down. It's one of those things where you, if you can, I mean, my at my age, um, a lot of my friends and classmates and colleagues um, have ankle, knee, and hip uh, replacements and so forth. So I should, you know, given all the sports I played, I should have issues, but God's blessed me with the 
the ankles, knees, and hips to do it. So um, I've cut about 20 pounds since I've been over here, which doesn't hurt either. Yeah. You know, I was I was running the marathons before at 220, and now I'm I'm around 200. So I think all of that to say that uh, if God gives you the ability to do stay active in any way, swimming, running, you know, just do that and stay active. Yep. Right. Yeah, man, it's been 20 years since I've ran a marathon. Um, you know, done a lot of other things since then, but I, I was back in Boston this weekend uh, to see the kids competing in in some some big meets up there, and I had the opportunity to go out with my my uh, my daughter's boyfriend's father, who's running Boston for the first time uh, in two months, and we went out. My wife dropped us off out of the John Kelly statue at the base of, of Heartbreak Hill, and we ran back to our hotel, just a, a five-miler after. He had, he had done a long run the day before. And tell you what, man, being back out on the Boston Marathon course all these years later, it uh, re- got the juices flowing, got the juices flowing yeah. and thinking <laughs> for sure. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I've already reached out. I'm, uh, we've talked about on other episodes that we're I'm getting ready to do a half marathon, and uh, I'm doing it with one of my daughter's uh, – former teammates who's now in PA school. And uh, I even reached, she made some comment on my Strava post about that. She was jealous that I was out running on the Boston marathon course with Mark. And I'm like, are you jealous enough that you maybe want to start training for a marathon to come and do it yourself? And, and she, she's intrigued. So could be, could be something else we end up doing next step. You marathon. Excellent. Yeah. I'm just hoping to get back to running. <laughs> All right. So, um, so last time we left off, you were finishing out your Coast Guard career in Colorado. Um, you uh, very passionately talked about your family and, uh, and your men's group out there. Um, so take us, we'll just pick up from there. Uh, Where would you go after that? So uh, I had the opportunity, kind of snuck up on me to, to uh, pursue a Ph.D. in public policy at the University of Colorado, Denver. <laughs> And uh, while working for a company back in, in D.C., they let me, they, they, they sponsored my uh, Ph.D. work. So over a three-year uh, accelerated uh, process, I did a Ph.D. in uh, public policy there. And that um, opens doors that I didn't realize would, would open in, in back in the national security uh, advising public policy world. So... Uh, I went back and worked for Johns Hopkins University Applied Physics Lab. So if you take their hospital, their university, and the Applied Physics Lab, you have the largest research facility in the world, Mm. uh, those three entities. And I taught at their graduate school. And they just basically were so progressive and and, uh, visionary that they allowed me to pursue what I thought would be the most uh, useful to the the national security enterprise of the country. And it was... uh, a wild opportunity because it's a it's a place that has that kind of cachet, gravitas, and 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 vision. So uh, I began working. <laughs> I went in and they said, "Well, what are you going to work on?" I go, "Well, you hired me. I thought you'd tell me what I work on." They said, "No, <laughs> we, we hired you're you're what's called a strategic hire. So you figured out." Mm. I came back in a week later and said, "Well, there's two things that I think our country really needs, and that is cybersecurity and critical infrastructure because." We lacked imagination, according to the 9-11 Commission report, when we got hit on 9-11. So those two areas were going to be really uh, critical. They said, we got cybersecurity, work on critical infrastructure. So what that led to was a pathway to critical infrastructure protection. But actually, what I learned was it's not, you can't protect yourself. 
from an enemy that's willing to die for it. And there's no such thing as perfect security. So what you're left with mm -hmm. is the ability to withstand and recover from that which is inevitable. So resilience is that uh, act of virtue, which we prevent, protect, mitigate if we can, but more likely we need to mitigate, respond, and recover well from that which is going to happen. And it's not only for the nation or the region or the state or the community or the family, it's for the individual. Mm -hmm. And if you think that way, you begin to be anticipatory and proactive in the way you live, the way you study, and the way you walk your faith. So it kind of came together, and uh, Hurricane Sandy hit New York City, and that was the tipping point. Mm. Um, I had done a report. It was just a report, and the pub a publisher saw the report and said, hey, that's what happened. We, we, we invested $35 million in having the city ready, and we got our heads handed to us with this storm that came through in October Wrong time of the year, wrong place, most densely populated area. So all that to say, I was at Johns Hopkins. They said, we need help. Can we publish your book? Can we do that? So the book came out of a demand signal from uh, the emergency management, homeland security, disaster management community to say, oops, we, we need to think differently, prepare differently. And that's uh, beyond the storms. Yeah. So don't just focus on the storm and your reaction to it. Think beyond the storm. Yeah, yeah, and I, I remember when you were writing that book, and it came out. I, I got I got an autographed copy, and I read it. And um, um, what's and so what year was that? Tell me what year that was. What year was Sandy? Two thousand fourteen. Two thousand fourteen. So we're almost a decade removed um, from the uh, impetus for for your book. And then when was the book published? Fourteen. Same yeah. year. So I researched in thirteen, wrote it in fourteen. Okay, so we're almost a almost a decade out from the book coming out. How are we doing a decade later with this whole that's, topic? That's a, great, that's a great question. I would say, um, without oversimplifying, trying not to oversimplify, but I would say that from a um, critical infrastructure standpoint, 16 critical infrastructures, uh, we're, we're better in, in many ways uh, because we've got redundancies, robustness, and the automation uh that made us great in terms of startups and innovation, um, we realized it was also simultaneously making the nefarious bad guys better equipped as well. Right. So we, we, we kind of got smarter after, after the cyber attacks on Sony, OPM, and, and many of the you know, Target and others, we realized that <laughs> a lot of the breaches that were happening had already been taking place for two years mm. before we discovered it. So we, we needed some painful reminders. And actually, my book got a, a little bit of a re-kick uh, the last couple of years because they started going, hey, you know, what you said was kind of what happened, and we need to think more anticipatory and have smart resilience in turbulent times. Uh -huh. We need to think smart in turbulent times. And, and this is not going away because uh, they're going to just come up with more creative ways to disrupt our system. So to answer your question, I would say that in many ways we've gotten better, but the the bad news is that they continue to innovate themselves, the, the opposition, the enemy, mm. the uh, intelligent adversary, um, and not just adversaries. Um, countries that su would surprise you are daily trying to penetrate 
breach and, and access for business purposes, market purposes, mm -hmm. supply chain purposes. So the environment is, uh, threat environment is there. And fortunately, we, we have been able to apply some of these principles in ways that weren't, weren't done before. So it's kind of a good, good, good story with, with some caution, right. some caution. Yeah, I mean, and there's um right now we got President Biden in office, and I th and I I don't pay a huge amount of attention to it, um, but I know there's like plans for a large uh, budget and the emphasis on uh, infrastructure. Um, I wonder how much politics gets in the way of of us being prepared, you know, and and being becoming more resilient. It's always a factor. You're never going to get away from it. I, I think that uh, it, it's, it's one of those things where our nation right now is at, is at an inflection point, I think, where it's going to have, we're going to have to decide as a nation if, if we're going to continue to go down this path. But I've I just been, uh, I think ultimately the, the older I get, Nevin, the more I realize that only the Lord Yes. It's going to help us through this because it's right. a, too big of a problem. Yeah. Um, the fear of the Lord is used 27 times in the book of Proverbs. 27 times. And I think, uh, you know, we, we, we tend to be enamored with all these fancy things and new, new technology. But the reality is um, only the fear of the Lord. It's, it's no different. It's no different than when, Judah and, and Israel right. was 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 faced with a question. You know, are you going to follow me, or are you got? So America's right now being asked the question: Are you going to uh, follow the Lord, trust Him? Um, and I think um, it's it's hitting. I mean, I saw I saw on the news where Asbury there's a yeah. revival that's been going on for yeah. I over just, a week. I, I just got tuned into that yesterday. My my son told me about it, and uh, yeah, it's like. I don't know. Maybe you know about more about it than I do, but basically they were having their, their typical, I think, worship time at uh, Asbury uh, Seminary. It's like I think so. Yeah. University, and um, and people just stayed and they kept singing and praising the Lord and praying and now people are like traveling from all over the place to go there now. Is that basically what you you heard? Yeah, yeah. And and I mean, when you when you think about it, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge right. of the Holy One is understanding. Proverbs yeah. nine verse ten. Proverbs. 27 times talks about the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is that acknowledgement that his authority and majesty needs, to, we need to submit to his authority and majesty. And, and are we going to do that as a nation or is it just going to be a few uh, faithful communities here and there? Uh, we will be brought to our knees and, and, it, and, it, and it's doable. It's more doable than, than ever before because of the interdependencies. We were always interconnected. Mm-hmm these systems, these infrastructures. But now they're not only interconnected, they're interdependent. And so with that situation, you have, like during COVID, when the supply chain showed cascading failures, um, no one hacker, no one IT success story can solve that. It's it's a far more complex issue. So I think we as, as believers um, need to be smart professionally, but also realize that it's ultimately in, in the Lord's hands mm -hmm. and, and, uh, charm, you know, externals, it says at the, the end of Proverbs 31, it says, um, charm is deceitful and, uh, 
beauty is vain, but a, but a person who fears the Lord shall be praised. Mm. So, it, you know, the, the final verse, the final in, in 31 is about fearing the Lord. The largest book in the Bible, uh, the largest chapter, Psalm, Psalm 119, has 176 verses. The Word of God, the Word of God. David, David uses an acrostic to, to 23 synonyms for the Word of God. So I don't. I think the older I get, the more I realize that we can't wander away from this primary, singular, central capstone issue, which is we must return to the fear of the Lord mm. and realize that His Word is going to endure forever, and we need to rely upon Him, trust in Him, and believe in Him. And and our children, our children are are the ones that are are now being asked the question: Are you are right. you willing to follow Him? And place him above yourself. Yeah, yeah, and uh, that's. Ex- I mean, that's obviously exactly right. And history teaches that over and over again. Even our own history. I think I read a book by, um, oh my lord, what was the, the the man's name who started Campus Crusade for Christ? He passed away from pulmonary fibrosis. But uh, anyway, he wrote a book and uh, basically Bill Bright. Bill Bright. Yeah, thank you. Before before every major bad thing that happened to our country starting with the uh war for our independence and revolutionary war civil war great depression all this stuff there was a big revival uh beforehand so uh that, that was his his take on it but um i don't know if we're having a revival now but I've, i you know it's just it's just overwhelming isn't it the the attack of the enemy and i and i and i mean this in a spiritual sense and it plays out in real life and real people it's overwhelming sometimes because it's constant, and uh, with the the modern age and uh, information at our fingertips and, and things like that, that everything gets kind of um, amplified. Well, yeah, but there's so much falsehood out there that sounds good, and uh, and that takes us away from God's word and from uh, from uh, from the the Father and the fear of the Lord. So who knows what's going to happen? But we do take take solace in the fact that God is in control. I think, and uh, but our job is to be faithful. Again, um, I I decided uh, back when the uh, Trump was running for re-election during the, that year in the campaign, I decided that uh, I'm not going to worry too much about that stuff because it'll drive me crazy and it can make it, ang- it get you angry and it's post things on social media that uh, don't do, don't help at all. You thought you could change the world through a Facebook yeah, post? Yeah, yeah, it doesn't happen. <laughs> and uh, and I th- I just decided I'm going to focus on what where my sphere of influence is right now. Obviously, my family, but I started F3, and and I think part of F3, even though it's not a Christian ministry, the amount of men that we interview on this podcast that have strengthened their faith and come to faith in Christ through going to F3 and, and meeting brothers in F3 and sweating and toiling with them um, and, and uh, being loved by them, it's, it's, uh, uh, it's had an impact. And, and even if we're just making guys better, you know, in, 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 uh, better husbands and better fathers and stuff like that, um, it's, that's the influence I can have. I can have an influence around my community. And whatever the heck happens with this podcast and wherever it goes, and we pray that um, we, we prayed before we started this interview that God uses this for his glory in whatever yep. shape or form that takes. I will talk to you. I want. I, I just want to share this. You were down in uh, Hopkins. I remember uh, Jared, my son, we went down a uh, vacation down in Washington, D.C. Uh, we spent two days there, and on the way back, we stopped in Inner Harbor uh, to hang out there for a day, and that's where you were teaching your class. Um, it was a master's class on leadership. Correct me if I'm wrong, but um, 
but it was a bunch of Chinese students. I think there was one Taiwanese Taiwanese person there, and uh, they had uh, that. It, it's hard to get into that class to go to Johns Hopkins uh, master's level uh, program. They, it's a competitive for these Chinese kids to get over. But I remember Dane invited my son and I to to sit in on his class, and he had me talk to the class. I don't even don't remember what I said, but I remember a little bit. But but I was really impressed by the fact that you got these Chinese students there. Um, uh, so thank you for that. That was really cool. My son really enjoyed it because he was in high school at the time. You know, he's sitting in on this master's class. So, uh, so that was very cool. Do you, do you have any contact with those students years later? There, wow, I've forgotten about that. Um, yes, there are a couple students that um, still want you know kind of mentoring, advising, and and some references. Um, their their key to success is get the degree from a prestigious American school, have that on your record, then get a job mm-hmm. in that financial market, preferably, and then um, see where it goes. But that, that makes their future pretty attractive, especially if they go back. That's highly regarded in, in other parts of the world. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, so I, I maintain some contact with them, but not, not a lot of them. Right. Um, that was that was a lot of fun though. I remember it made, it made a huge impre- impression on my son. And then we went to the aquarium, <laughs> 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 which is always fun. That was the only. By the way, the only thing I've ever run more than well, I did run a 10k when I was in my 20s. But I'm not at this pot. People listen to this podcast. No, I'm not a runner. I'm just a guy that runs. But I ran one half marathon, and it was this guy. Uh, Dane Agley that got me to do it because he was like training for a marathon. Come on, Nev, you know you could do this. And I said, well, I don't. I'm not ready for a marathon, but I can run the half marathon. And it was in Baltimore, <clears throat> and uh, and I just remember. So I I don't know why I was so delusional to think that it was going to be flat, but it was anything but flat. <laughs> and uh, so so it was hard, but I finished that thing. I did finish it. I uh, didn't quite reach the time I was hoping for because I cramped up with two miles to go. You got done before dark, though, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> calf cramps uh, it ensued. First, the first calf at the 10-mile mark, and the second calf at the 11-mile mark, I hobbled home. A bunch of heavy girls in tutus passed me. <laughs> they're like, oh, come on. Do you see my shirt? <laughs> I, I can see the color. I can't see the writing. Baltimore, 2014. Yeah, there you there go. I didn't even know you had that on. Yeah, so that was – he ran the whole marathon. So um, that was – but that was uh, – yeah, it's because of this guy I ran a half marathon. So I hope maybe I can get back to that someday. But, uh, yeah. So anyway, Johns Hopkins, that's my, uh, uh, um, interaction with inner Harbor other than having fun (laughs) (laughs) pain (laughs) in the half marathon. Um, well, you know, you talk about your book, uh, beyond the storms and it's about being resilient. And, uh, you said even in our individual lives and, uh, not to plug F3 continually, but, uh, that's one of the things that we talk about F3 is when you as an individual can do something like this, which is expose yourself to some pain and chaos. And and one of the rules is it has to be outside. So no matter what the weather, you know, it's zero, whatever the weather raining, zero degrees outside when you're getting up early and doing that and doing that with other men, they're going to encourage and support you. Um, the, what we, say is it helps you to uh, gain some confidence and be a little bit more prepared when the unexpected happens in your life. Uh, I wonder how we do that as a country though, right? Without going through hard times ourselves. I mean, how do you, how do you grow in strength and, uh, and be resilient without having the hardship? Yeah, you need to be proactive and, and be intentional about preparing for it. And 
if you want to wait until a crisis disaster disruptive event hits you, that's one way to do it because it'll, it'll wake you up and right. snap your head. But um, leadership is about people you know, anywhere. You, you know, leadership emerges in some of the most unexpected ways. Mm -hmm. Locally, all disasters are local because they affect locally and it comes back to that community. So I think that ultimately it comes to, you know, being, you know, we got, we, we call it VUCA, V-U-C-A, volatility, uncertainty, complexity, ambiguity. And, and we're facing that internationally, domestically, locally. And so at the local level, the family level, neighborhood level, there needs to be some recognition that there are some practical things you can do, whether it's water runoff, whether it's, you know, uh, having fire fire fighting capabilities or flooding. What is your most uh, likely scenario? And and there in the Susquehanna Valley, I mean, you have a town that's built on on uh, uh, canals. Right. I mean, Dan Danville is on top of canals, so yeah. it's going to flood. Right. So when I was there as a as a uh, fifteen year old, nineteen seventy two, the flood mm -hmm. came up from underneath the city because. All those Kipler Run and all those water waterways uh, tributaries uh, swelled up, and the river the river didn't crest necessarily, but all the water that came back through and combined with uh, saturated ground and ground um, runoff and, mm -hmm. and rain. So it's thinking uh, preventive. It's it's creating as many options as possible, and which one of us you know we don't we do that in our personal lives. We do it. Physically, we do it financially, we do it academic. I mean, all those things are to be anticipatory and add things. So, um, and then, you know, you, you reach a point where you go, hey, we're kind of ready. You know, did you get a generator? Okay, well, I had a generator. I got it in 2007. And I kind of, I used it, warmed it up, used it here and there, but didn't really need it for an emergency. Last summer, I was at the ranch and we lost power. Mm -hmm. a connection at the main box just and we couldn't find it for like a week or two that generator saved our, our freezers saved our bacon mm -hmm. uh, so it, it was a little thing but it's a reminder that there there are things you can do to help yourself some of them are expensive some of them are not expensive mm -hmm. yeah we um, so, so that that book yeah it's out there and, and, and it, it resurfaces now and then yeah but, sure um, yep um so you you at uh, Johns Hopkins. Uh, where'd you go after that? Um, I went to Los Alamos National Laboratory in uh, Los Alamos, New Mexico. Uh, they have sixteen thousand employees at the National Laboratory, and it's really our nuclear triad because it's where we can. It's the only place we can put together uh, plutonium, uranium, lithium, and tritium, and that allows you to have the. Uh, nuclear enterprise for a country, mm -hmm. and so from a defense standpoint, um, it's it's a critical strategic uh, capability. I was asked to go down there and help them get organized and uh, work uh, uh, strategic planning, uh, measurement metrics, and risk management. It wasn't very um, dramatic, but it was it was something that they were having. Uh, continuously getting uh, gigged for by the in, in inspectors from the from Washington, D.C. So a friend of mine was down there. He asked me, so I've come down and I've worked there for two years. So 
I commuted down four days. I worked down there four days, and then I go back to the ranch, five-hour drive back up to Colorado. Mm-hmm. And it was a time when I got pulled into the Hyperloop uh, trans- transformation of uh, high-speed transportation of the future. It was a time when I worked with the nuclear enterprise department of energy. And I learned a lot about an area that I had not really worked in, but it was something that you leverage your skills in one area to do risk management, to do uh, quantify research and, and to help with nuclear security in a way that's very similar to national security. So mm-hmm. uh, it was, it was an education, it was learning. And I would say that, if we had time, I'd go into a discussion about why why Putin, on his worst day, with uh, you know a good dose of vodka, would not uh, do something as foolish as as launch on the U.S. Because his advisors would tell him that two minutes later, Moscow and Petersburg would be leveled mm-hmm. because we have the nuclear triad. And we are we remain quantum leap forward ahead of our peer competitors in certain critical security areas. Mm-hmm. So to remain unclassified, I would just say that I came away from that job reassured that there's a reason why we maintain uh, significant advantages in technology in order to um, utilize the nuclear triad mm-hmm. and those resources are everywhere in the world uh in in ways that nobody knows mm-hmm. but i would just say um that's to me a, an eye-opener that we do have you know a very significant advantage in that one particular strategic area nuclear and we don't talk about it we don't write about it we don't and that's because it's it's we want uh, integrated deterrence. Mm-hmm. You want to deter somebody? Yeah, peace through strength. But um, Los Alamos is one of uh, 14 national laboratories. So 14, it's, 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 but it, it's the one place where they can pull it together. Mm-hmm. So I think that, again, uh, thinking strategically, thinking uh, why, why our country has made some uh, good decisions in these strategic areas where we have bombers that can deliver things in the air, uh, uh, boomers, uh, submarines that are, that are around the world uh, sitting quietly at places, and then we have uh, ICBMs in the ground. Mm-hmm. So those three legs um, remind the world, I think, that uh, America is a force that you will always have to contend with. So before you think about doing what you're going to do, just consider that nobody wants to go nuclear. No one wants to use that, but just by having it mm-hmm. um, and knowing how to use it um, and with precision and technology, that was what that job ultimately was about. Yeah, that's a pretty pretty heady stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Hey, tell, tell us a little bit about the Hyperloop. I, I know that was a big thing there for you for a <laughs> while, like... Like, uh, t- tell us about it, I guess, and like how you see that maybe kind of playing out in the future, its its use or its benefits to us as a country. So the, con- yeah, I got pulled into this unexpectedly and I, I, uh, I wasn't, I didn't have the time to do it and it wasn't, I didn't have bandwidth, but 
my wife said, so, so you're going to tell Elon Musk and SpaceX that you don't have time to work with them. Is that, is that what you're saying? <laughs> I went, yeah, it doesn't sound right. So I said yes, and I got pulled into this resilient because of the resilience research, okay, yeah, yeah. the connection to resilience and security. When you take resilience and security, that, that's kind of a unique conversation. So my, my two specialties came together at that point. And um, Musk had just written a 2015 alpha paper, which said the next form of transportation will be this tube, vacuum tube, uh, with maglev, magnetic levitation, a motor that, that uh, basically um, linear inductive motor. Those three pieces, magnetic levitation, vacuum, and the um, linear inductive motor, those three, the technology, engineering, science, science and is there now? Can we bring it together and go 600, 650 miles per hour in a tube on Earth? No, no, no. We can't do it. No, we can't do it. Well, the reality is we can do it, yeah. and we and and we won't necessarily get there immediately. But you need to have visionary leadership. You need to have uh, unity of effort, and you need to have a shared economy where we do with this what we did with the vehicle. Mm-hmm. automobile and that is bring to your your vehicle that you drive uh, has over 300 patents inventions that have been brought together in a in a collective economy where we said not everyone can win on this you need to share share your uh, investment share your profit share your so we're in the process right now of forming they've just formed a group to start to work together. It was 10 companies, it's down to about four, four or five. I was the president of a nonprofit to be a catalyst to to uh, research this and encourage it. We did conferences around the country, Denver, Houston, New York City, Washington DC, LA, and Colorado. And what it was to bring visibility, awareness, and honestly to experiment with leadership, experiment with innovation, experiment mm-hmm. with transformation. And observing what I did from my first book, learning the lessons of what happens, you get asked to do a book tour. You launch it at the National Press Club. You then speak from Harvard to Stanford to Ohio State to Bucknell to Bloomsburg. You speak all over the country because you wrote a book. So I put together a group of a team of PhDs, about seven, and we wrote a book on Hyperloop. And we said, here's the technology. Here's what the market requires. Here's the economy. I wrote the intro and the chapter on on uh, national security and, uh, and resilience. When you have um, individuals like Branson, like like Musk, like that, you 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 don't. Uh, I mean, this is a guy who was told he couldn't do electric cars. You got Tesla. Mm-hmm. He was told you can't launch, return um, missiles back onto a, onto Mars. We have them coming back routinely. Yep. Mm-hmm. You can't go to Mars. You can't do this. And he just continues to break. So break the the odds. And so um, I just said, no, well, let's see where this goes. And about a, two months ago, I spoke over here and, and at an expo. And you know the lesson the lesson is. Um, Focus your efforts when it's appropriate, but don't be afraid to expand your, the boundaries of your vision prayerfully. And and if if God if God's given you the opportunity and your wife blesses you, those that's a good combination. That's a good hunting license to go play and go do some things. 
at certain seasons of your life. My critics would say, Dane, you're, you're, you're just all over the map. You're not focused. You're, you're in total disarray. My critics, mm. my, those who know me and, and, and spend time with me say, no, no, you have the ability to do some things, Mr. Renaissance man, and, and go do it. And we're going to support you, help you and guide you. This group doesn't necessarily know about this group mm. and this group doesn't care about that group. So I'm stuck with this, uh, I'm, I'm plagued with a disease uh, that started when I was about five years old, and that is I want to try a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And my mom used to say, Dane, you can't play baseball, basketball, football, wrestle, and run track. Well, fortunately, <laughs> I, you have to pick what you want to do. And so all that to say Hyperloop was one of those hobbies that just snuck up, and it fits a certain niche and, and place. And it's not going to get off the ground unless people like – me and people like me who, who, who will step in and say, no, I'm willing to invest some time, resources, and um, ideas to accomplish this. And when uh, Henry Ford did the car, there were people nipping at his heels saying, how are we going to fit the, 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 the buggy, horse and buggy inside the car? You're not going to put it in there. <laughs> well, how are we, we going to do the Hyperloop? How are we going to get our cars in the Hyperloop? you're not going to put your car in the Hyperloop. Yeah. Okay, so some of these things are just fun, and um, you hitch your wagon to people and prayerfully consider, you know, there is opportunity cost involved that if you put time and effort on this. So I've I've kind of reached a point where I come and go on that, and yeah. I don't know I don't know where it's going to go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, at one time we didn't have a railroad. We had to build tracks across the country. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Well, well, you think about it. The, the existing forms of transportation is rail, trucking, airplanes, shipping. All those venues are congested, big time. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And 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 if you look, the, the nexus. Okay, so let's bring this together. The nexus of security and resilience, transportation. And if we if we don't figure this out, I mean, none of those transportation. In, um, none of those transportation sectors should be threatened, although they all are. Mm -hmm. So when we go to D.C. or we go to wherever we go to present this, everyone's threatened because they're like, we don't want this. It'll take our place. And the answer is no. They will complement and reinforce one another in a way that you, you we need to communicate that. So, again, what's the common thread? Can we think complex problem solving? Can we think creatively? It's no different than what we were doing in the Coast Guard to find the search and rescue for the lost person. Think intensely, um, forcefully, intentionally about finding those lost people or the drug smugglers who don't want to be found or the hostage that, that, that you know, is desperately in need of us finding them. There's a common thread that goes through all that, and that is trying to discover the unknown mm. and trying to use every single neuron in your body, in your head, in your cerebral cortex to say, Lord, where are they? And could you help us defeat the enemy who doesn't want us to do this? Now, there's, there isn't always a clear enemy in the case of the Hyperloop. There's, it's just resistance. It's right. just inertia, just momentum. But if we are people of faith and realize that uh, God has 
a plan uh, and that we we're, we can uh, join him in what he's doing. See, my, prayer, my prayers up, in, up until now in this interview, all the, the prayers when I was growing up, lead me, guide me, teach me, help me, show me. And those were good prayers. They're scriptural prayers. But it's really all end with me. Mm-hmm. Lead me, guide me, teach me. And at some point around 2010, hanging out with wise men and reading books like Wild at Heart and, and John Eldridge's new book on resilience, mm-hmm. I began a different prayer, which is, Lord, could I join you in what you're doing? Yeah. Yep. Could I possibly, it says in Habakkuk that God says in chapter 1, verse 5, I'm at work, and if I were to reveal it to you, you couldn't handle it. Right. You wouldn't believe it. Lord, I know I wouldn't believe it, and I know I can't handle it, but would you just give me a glimpse of your glory and let me join you? Mm-hmm. And he goes, yes, I want to, I want you to be part of this. Thank you for asking. Let's go. Mm-hmm. So at what point in our lives do we have enough freedom and bandwidth, faith, trust to just say, let's, let's just relax and let it go and realize that his burden is easy, his yoke is light. Mm-hmm. And he made, he made us to rest in him, shalom. He wants to give us peace and rest. I don't think many people, believers included, enter ever enter his rest because we got so much to do and we're nervous about not having enough money when we retire or not having, yeah. uh, or my, you know, my, my kids are mad at me. My kid, oh my gosh, my kids are mad at me. I'm not the father I should be. And the men, the men in my life come in and go, none of us are the fathers we should be. None of our, you know, and they remind us and comfort us and say, God forgives us for making mistakes. Get up, roll with it. And, and, you know, encourage, let's encourage one another to try new things. So, you ask about Hyperloop, and we kind of went around the Hyperloop mountain. <laughs> That's <laughs> all right. Came back. And I don't have a good answer other than, you know. Time will tell. I'll, I'll end with this. I'll end with this because you both know my situation. A lot of my decisions are made based on the countenance of my wife. Yeah. Of 37 years. Yep. 37 years. If I'm not sure, um, I kind of uh, def- default to her countenance. And you know what? It seldom goes wrong. So when she says, excuse me, husband, you're not going to go do that interview at the White House? Really? Mm-hmm. And she, 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 at certain times, has grabbed another two men, two men and had them call me and come visit me and say, Dane, come on, let's talk about this. With the Hyperloop, she kind of said, she's a, she's a research chemist from NASA Langley. She has some SpaceX savvy that I did not. She goes, if they're asking you to write a chapter or to help them or to think be part of this futuristic team, just check it out. Don't yeah. say no. Yeah. Well, the moral of the story is there are some people on planet Earth that if you get a chance to be be on their team or, or be around them, just go do it and hang out, and you might just actually have a little blessing sprinkle on you that you didn't expect. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's pretty cool. Uh, I got, I'm going to go back to the. Um, uh, Homeland Security and the and Los Alamos thing just a little bit with the current event. Like, okay, China just flew a balloon across our country, and supposedly went across some nuclear silos and stuff like that. And you know, we let it go all the way out to the east coast and we shot it down. Um, I got a feeling that's not the first time they've done something like that. I mean, is this something that's been happening? And you know, what what are your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'm, I've been over here for a year and a half where I'm at in the desert. I can tell you about the different types of camels that they race. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll, 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 just, I'll just say this in my view that these things have been happening and, and I don't know what, what they pick up. I don't know what they're able to harvest and curate from that collection. Mm-hmm. But they've been stealing intellectual property for a long time. They've been stealing a lot of plans and stuff for a long time. Um, this might sound a little oversimplistic, but once you get all that, you have to know what to do with it. Yeah. So I almost, I almost don't care because they're a closed society. They're a closed society that does not welcome innovation to from the, around the world. I, I'm in a country where they're currently in favor with one another, Saudi Arabia and China. But when you look at these countries that have a temporary relationship of convenience, it's not a country they want to emulate. China is not a country, Russia is not a country that the rest of the world wants to emulate. On our worst day, I'm getting a little bit, a little bit uh, campaigning political here, but on our worst day, um, we're viewed internationally as good um supportive and helpful in general. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you that from traveling and talking to young people, professionals, entrepreneurs, everywhere, Europe, Middle East, I mean, South America, Central America. I, I mean, there's a reason why we have a refugee problem, an immigration problem. Yeah. They're trying to get here. So until you tell me that they're trying to fight to get into China, they're crawling through dirt, mud, and glass to get into Russia, uh, just remember, on our worst day, they're die. They're willing to die to get here. Yeah, okay, yeah. and there's a reason for that because we we have an open society, rule of laws, rule of law, respect, and and we we have a lot of goodness. Now, what's that got to do with balloons and sensors and surveillance? You get it. You got to do know what to do with it. So, other countries have nuclear capability too, mm-hmm. but they don't have Los Alamos. They don't have the technology and precision. So they can make a mess and they can hurt themselves and they can hurt a lot of other people. But in the back of their minds, we want to make it absolutely clear, do what you got to do. But remember, we have, we call it integrated deterrence. All these systems are meant to say that um, we have capabilities mm-hmm. that, that you, you might not want to guess how how precise they would be yeah in order to be a deterrent they got to know a little bit about how how good they are right i mean if i'm going to advise putin i got to know a little bit about listen vladimir you know they could do this well you know i'm not an expert in in every single area but i would say that one of the things we learned with osama bin laden and a lot of these other people and and some of our intelligent adversaries they watch our movies Uh they watch hollywood and, and they don't know where the truth begins and, the, and it ends. <laughs> Neither do we. So, <laughs> so over here, over here, I run into people that actually believe that what they saw in Top Gun Maverick, yeah. that we can fly those jets down in those canyons. And, and when they yeah. see that, they go, oh, man. <laughs> They're just blown away because they don't have any context. They give us way more credit than we deserve. But that's part of the deterrent as well, I, I would think. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I don't know. I thought we could fly in the <laughs> canyons like that. Don't burst our bubble over yeah, here. Yeah, jeez. Santa's Listen, not, I next saw... Thing you, next thing you're going to tell me, Santa's not real, Bane. <laughs> jeez. I, I saw Top Gun in... Was it 1986? Top Gun came out? I wanted to be a naval aviator then. Then I watched the new Top Gun, Maverick, and I want to be a naval aviator again. And neither time am I going to do it. But boy, I was, I was fired up. <laughs> All right, so all right, so yeah, Los Alamos. What happened after that? Let's let's just continue this timeline. So I, w- I went home to the ranch and I said I'm retired. Yeah, you know, it's, it's so you know, and then the f- the phone rings and it's a recruiter in Dubai and I said no, are you available? No, I'm not. I'm retired. I'm I'm a cowboy now. And uh, before I hung up, my wife says, "Well, just ask them what they would have you do." <laughs> well, they told me a little bit. And then she said, "Well, just ask them what they would pay you." And she said, he's on his way. He'll be there in 48 hours. Uh-huh. It's not quite that simple. Right. She doesn't like having you at home, does <laughs> no, she? It's, it's, it sounds good. Um, actually, you know, again, I, when you're – so let's just start with the Lord. Everything starts with him. He opens doors. He opens opportunities. He, 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 he makes the phone ring. All those things are him. And – I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I am one of the knives. And so they, they, they call at that point. I argue, debate, pray, mm-hmm. put out a fleece, whatever. But there's a verse I discovered in Deuteronomy 29. And this one, this one changed my outlook on some of these things, but what it says is um, basically the secret things belong to him. And he doesn't necessarily reveal all these things. So this idea that there's one perfect will mm-hmm. that, and if you, you've got to find it. Well, you know what? Uh, there's, there's things that a lot of the things that I think the Lord just says, you're free. Mm-hmm. You're free. And Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord, our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that, that we may do all the word words of the law. So to me, it's, it's kind of saying he'll reveal what he wants to reveal, but typically uh, a lot of things he just doesn't reveal right. because we're free. We're free to do what we think. And there's not necessarily one path. So I come to the Lord and say, Lord, do you want me to do this? And um, he says, you're free. Right. I, I, I mean, stay here would be good. And that leaves, you know, my wife. And she says, hey, we're, we're still young and healthy. Go, go have fun. Go play. Go mm-hmm. do it. And oh, by the way, and I say, what about church? What about our men's group? What about all this stuff that I hold dear and near and, and time with us together? And she says, we have, when have we not found ways to, to, to make it happen? I mean, we have four kids. We had to get together somehow. And that was during a very intense time where I was deployed. And so not, it's not for everybody. I mean, it's not for everybody. But I deployed three months out, three months in for pretty much my whole career on ships. So she says, hey, you know, let's see what happens. I came over here, the next job from Los Alamos, I, I went over and I did uh, consulting with a couple of really cool companies. And I did two months at a time, six months total with the Saudis. It was absolutely crazy fun. Yeah. And I traveled the, the region. I hit 14 out of the 15 places on my bucket list. Yeah, and you were um, so you basically are consulting for Homeland Security for Saudi Arabia. Yeah, basically Homeland. It yeah. was their border guard, which is in their Ministry of Interior, and I was the senior American who reviewed uh, all the work of the international consultants around me. So it was using 
everything from kindergarten on. Yeah. Everything I, I could think of, every idea, every concept, every security, homeland, national. And so that's what I dipped my toe into the international consulting world. Yeah. I, and, and your your ability to travel around uh, basically the Holy Land and all the historical spots and stuff like that has benefited myself and Dial-Up because he brought us both back a, a small smooth stone from the Valley of Elah yeah. in Israel where the, the, the battle of David and Goliath took place and David picked up five smooth stones. So I don't know if this one, you know, my I think my, the way I look at it, mine fell out of Goliath's forehead and I got the stone. I, 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 yeah, mine's a little small. I don't know whether it would take down the giant, but <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. But it's, uh, it's cool to think about. Yeah, though. he could have could, these, it could be. Yeah, you know, he could have got these rocks out of his mom's house in Riverside and told us this, but I, true. I, I think he's telling us. <laughs> yeah, he, he would do that to us. <laughs> you also gave me a rock yeah. from uh, the uh, the Red Sea, right? Right, where you kind of yeah. think yeah. maybe that's where the Israelites came across. I I think it's more than possible. I think yeah. it's very likely, yeah. and and I've done I've done the research. Uh, some things you research over here. Uh, Saudi Arabia, Jordan, Egypt, Israel, Lebanon, Cyprus, Malta. There are biblical stories you can walk right into the truth of it, and, it, and God just goes, here it is. Yeah. And the archaeology supports it. The Bible supports it. The secular uh, archaeology supports it. Local oral history supports it. And um, you have to go there and see it. You don't get it from a website. In fact, the websites are oftentimes wrong. Sometimes you go there and it's, 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 it's not not clear and right. it's ambiguous. But um, Sodom and Gomorrah, it's there and it's there for the scene and, and it's loaded. And I, and I went over there not knowing, but on the southeast corner of the Dead Sea, I could, I could talk for a half hour on it's there. And of the five cities that, that, that were listed in, in, in Genesis, he torched four of them and he left one. And the one he left was Zor. And Zor is there. Uh-huh. Is it still a city? And, so, and then, and then uh, Malta is Acts twenty-seven. Uh, Paul running the ground. His ships runs the ground. Right. And it's there. And I was amazed. Uh, so anyway, coming over here is that's a bonus. That's not why I'm here. Right. But one of the trips I did this past year was to Egypt. And when I go, I do what any any good explorer would do military officer is you do the research, read the Bible, and then interview people. And you go, and, and one thing that, that people don't, people underestimate is they overestimate the tradition and the tourism and, and all the stuff, the junk that may or may not be true. What they underestimate is local um, oral history. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot, of, a lot of these people, the earth, <laughs> I don't think the earth is, is that old. I mean, I'm a young earth guy. I'm a Genesis guy, and and so uh, it's been passed down. And there's re- evidence. There's there's structures. There's stuff that remains to be discovered. And then there's one other factor that we don't really talk a lot about, and that's God Himself blessing you because you trust Him to show you something that you know. Uh, Jeremiah. Jeremiah says, "Call on me, and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things you've never seen before." Mm-hmm. So there, there's things to be discovered. Um, Malta, I went in there and, and it just it just opened up the harbor, the port, the place. And as a mariner, I could just see it right there, and I will never forget it. And and in fact, the locals have three buoys right there on that shoal, and and the and the 200 and 
50 some sa sailors on that boat mm. had to get ashore. They couldn't run aground up on a reef way out offshore. It had to be in close. And there it is. It just, it just right there in front of you. So that's kind of a neat bonus. But the one, the trip I took to Egypt um, was, was focused on finding, thinking, looking uh, through Moses eyes at the geography, the topography and the geology to see where could they have crossed. Number one, how many people are we talking about? We know it's at least between two and three million, maybe more, because the, the census that was taken at Sinai was 604,000 or something like that of men, fighting men over the age of 20. Mm -hmm. So do the extrapolation, do the Number two, they've got to get to Midian, mm -hmm. where Moses was a shepherd for 40 years and married his first wife, the daughter of uh, Jethro. Well, guess where Midian is? It's northwest, or, or it's northwest Saudi Arabia. Mm -hmm. Secular historians and other, and other biblical research would point it towards that direction. So now you start to connect the dots and do the reverse engineering. And I believe with, with, with high confidence that they had to come across Sinai and then cross the Gulf of Aqaba, which in the Hebrew Bible is Yam Suf. Where's Yam Suf is, the, is another key research piece. So once you connect the number of people, Yam Suf in Hebrew, and then where's Midian? Those are three of about 10 variables in the equation that put it at Nueva, which is this delta that opens up on the Sinai Peninsula. And you stand there and go, this is it. Mm. This is the one place along the uh, Gulf of Aqaba where you could get a large number of people. And the topography, gradual down, 1,800 feet, gradual up. So my book is not about where it happened, although I kind of got excited about that piece while I was researching the biblical elements of the Exodus. Mm -hmm. so, so that's you, another whole session. I don't, I don't know how much you want me to talk yeah, about well, that. Let's, uh, yeah, so you referred to the book. This is a book you're currently writing. I've submitted it to a publisher, um, Westbow, which is Zondervan and uh, Thomas Nelson, and, and they're, they're editing it right now. And what's the title of it? Yeah. It's called Victory at Sea, Discovering the Providence of God in the Miracle and Mystery of the Exodus. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. And this is part of your uh, master's uh, work at Dallas Theological Seminary. You're, uh, you, yeah, it was, yeah, it was an independent study with the Biblical Exposition Department, and it, it just grabbed me. Yeah. And, and the Lord just took me places I, I, I can imagine. So that I'm very excited about. And, and, and like, as you know, like a PhD, like any other enterprise, which is hard and long, you can't do it unless God divinely inter inter interrupts your life and yeah. says, this is something I'm going to give you. Yeah, that's cool, man. I look forward to that. I can't wait to get a copy of that. Um, so I want to I want to talk to you about um, when you went back into uh, working for the government because I know you you did that consultant work and then under the Trump administration you uh, went back. Hey, excuse me, Nev. Yeah, Nev. In case we don't come back to it, can I just say one thing about the Exodus? Yeah. One thing. Why would God inspire so many writers to refer to the Exodus more than any other event in Scripture? 272 times, 261 in the Old Testament, 11 in the New Testament. No other event 
even comes close. It's the most frequently referenced event in Scripture for a reason. And that's how I started. And I pulled the thread, and I just one thing after another, and I got 272 reasons yeah. why God picked it. And I couldn't, I, it just captivated me, and I couldn't let it go. So at that point, I sent it to a publisher, and they said, let's go. So we'll see, but it is, uh, it's been life-changing because it wasn't just a salvation moment for the, the nation Israel. It was a salvation moment for us. Yeah, it was the birth of uh, the nation Israel as a nation, right? You, you, you guys, I mean, you'll love it. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's just fun, you know. It started as a devotional, became a course, <laughs> then it became a transcript. Now it's becoming a book, and it's okay. just all God. It's just all God. And yeah. the, the first half is somewhat research, academic, making the case. Yeah. The second half of the book is personal application, personal application. Yeah. So. I, it's it's really honestly it's designed for people like like us mm. seminary students seminary professors classes academics seminaries church pastors preachers yes but it's really for the f3 men's group regular guy who says what what was going on there yeah and and most God says to Moses they're standing there and the chariots are behind them 600 plus. The water's in front of them, the mountains on each side. And God says in Exodus 14, 14, stand still. I will fight for you. These Egyptians you're looking at, you will never see again. Mm -hmm. Wow. And so it's it's just uh, staggering to me how many things I discovered that that I didn't know. Uh, Hebrews 11 says the people crossed the, the, the hall of faith, mm -hmm. that they crossed by faith. Right. And they, and. They, it's just God proves himself over and over. But there's, there's, here, here's one. There's 15 small, small miracles inside of the big one in chap, chapter 14 of Exodus. So you got the big miracle of the parting of the Red Sea. But in order for that one miracle to happen, there's 15 other miracles mm -hmm. that enable that to happen. Yeah. The way I chronicle, the way I chronicle it. Yeah. And then it says, the, la the last thing for the, F for the F3 crowd, in Exodus 13, it says, I brought you out with a strong hand mm. four times. Yeah. I, God, brought you out with a strong hand four times. I just, it just, over and over yeah, stuff. I, so know, more to follow. You know, this guy does so much in his life, but what does he get really passionate and fired up about when he's talking about this <laughs> stuff, right? He's talking about the Lord <laughs> and his research into scripture. That's cool. All right. Well, let's uh, let's let's talk about that time when you came back and served uh, again in the belly of the beast. Yeah. So I went back to the ranch. I had this illusion that I was going to be retired again, and um, I interviewed with a Trump administration in um, a job in the Homeland Security office, and then counterterrorism defense operations. So it kind of pulled together a lot of the pieces for the things they were dealing with in ISIS in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. And I just come from the Middle East. So that was a, nat a natural. My wife, she said, you need to go back and resolve some things because I, I hadn't made rank. I hadn't done this. And there was still some man, man okay, let's talk manliness. Mm -hmm. There were still some man issues that my wife was in touch with. She could tell that I wasn't at peace totally with where I ended up professionally. And she was uh, 
I wasn't in touch with this, but she was, you know, our wives, uh, you know, you know what I'm talking about, mm -hmm. just kind of diagnosed me and said, you know what? They want you, you need to go back and get it out of your system. Get what out of my system? I'm fine. I, so, mm -hmm. I went back and, and just a combination of people, assignments, uh, young people that I was able to work with just pulled a lot of stuff together that was lingering. Um, this would be in the category of uh, the tr things that trouble you that you're not in touch with. You're not willing to get professional help or counseling or psych for, well, my wife said, you need to go back and work through this. And for two years, I had the chance, uh, one year under Trump, one year under Biden. And, 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 and honestly, to come up to Danville almost every weekend. Right. And, and Anne-Marie actually said one time, if that's the only thing that you went back for, to go up and see your mom mm -hmm. on weekends and, and, and be with the, the men there was, was very helpful. It was a time when I was working through a lot of issues that I didn't know I needed to work on. So that whole thing kind of snuck up on me. Again, I give Anne-Marie a lot of credit because I went home once, one week out of the month, I would be in Colorado. Mm -hmm. So I was gone a lot. So that's a, that's a gift on her part, um, as you can imagine. But the issue there was, um, yes, I had, I had things to bring to the administration. Yes, I had a role to play in the DHS enterprise. But, but more, I think more importantly, were there, some, there were some issues still lingering with my attitude and with my heart and with my um, view of, of what God had done. And God was gracious and, and gentle and said, come on back. I want to I help you. I want to show you. And I want to bless you in ways that, you know, and, and again, this is the nature of our God. His marvelous kindness and his grace is given to us in ways beyond salvation. So salvation, we're declared righteous before God. That's justification. Mm -hmm. And we're set apart for holiness, sanctification. But I always thought that the glory of God was something I had to wait for, that that's going to be when, he, when I go to heaven. He says, no, I'm going to give you justification, sanctification. And guess what? My glory, I want my glory to shine through you now on earth as it is in heaven. And I, 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 think, uh, I think that was a learning time, two years, Nevin, mm -hmm. of uh, kind of unexpected pieces. Uh, and, 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 you you know, coming back to be around you guys, the F3 crowd, the men on Saturday morning, the, my family, especially mm -hmm. my mom. Yeah, your right. mom needed you at that was, time. Yeah, and sometimes, it, sometimes we don't know what's best for our for us. And I trusted my wife's judgment, her her countenance, mm -hmm. and I I had to really trust the Lord and say, I would rather be back at the ranch, mm -hmm. milking goats, shooting elk, doing all the stuff that I thought I. Should. And and Anne Marie just comforted me and said, Hey, relax, we're fine, go do it. Oh, by the way, if the only thing that happens is you get to go spend quality time with your mom for two years and then come out here once a week, mm -hmm. once a month, um, maybe that's maybe that's just okay. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, it's a uh, it's uh, incredible the way the Lord works and um, and he does speak to us through our wives. Um, 
and some guys hearing this are going to find that difficult because they may be divorced or something like that. But yeah. you know, um, we got to be focused on our on our our wives and and as speaking to us and uh, being you know, partners with them. I could tell you, man, I went out there. My wife had a, a conference. She went to in Denver, <laughs> and uh, and uh, and Dana was home at the ranch. So uh, I I called him up and we we met in Colorado Springs. We met right outside the Air Force Academy, and. Uh, the first thing, you know, we, we went in and looked at some stuff there, but... Uh, You're going to go on vacation, right? Yeah. Kick so, back and relax. So then, so then he says, jump in my... He's got this big old pickup truck. And he says, come on, we got to go somewhere. So first thing I do, like, I get in his truck and the, the biggest dog head in the world just all of a sudden rests on my shoulder. This giant dog that's a, a fairly new breed, I guess, called a Colorado Mountain Dog. This all of a sudden his face is right next to my face. Like, what is this monster? <laughs> so, <laughs> so we drive to um, this place. So he's got to get a bunch of uh, bales of hay or whatever, right? We load up the truck and and, and and we go out to the ranch. I follow him in my my rental, and we start in Colorado Springs, which is whatever altitude. And as we're going up to his ranch, and 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 um, it's near Cripple Creek, by the way, by the song, you know, yeah. up by Cripple Creek, you send me. Well, anyway. It turned into a blizzard, right? We got like five, six inches of snow. We're driving through. We get to the ranch, and uh, he had some goats there. The one mama goat was really kind of keeping me <laughs> from getting near the other goats. But man, uh, his beautiful wife Emery made made me an elk burger, which which he shot on the property. And, well, that was really good. Yeah, really good. And we had a great time there. And these giant mountain dogs, which uh, they they raise and and sell, uh, were all over the place. And then. Um, Next day, we went to a Colorado Rockies baseball game, but uh, right, That's yeah, right. yeah, that was cool. And uh, but man, those dogs are humongous. Uh, yeah, they are. Yeah, what are they? <laughs> what are they a breed from? They're seventy five percent Pyrenees, twenty five percent Anatolian Shepherd. They're gar- uh, livestock guardian dogs, so yeah. you know you no longer have problems with coyotes oh. <laughs> and wolves and bears. Kind of shy away from the ranch and go to the next ranch. Right, right. These are big dogs. <laughs> how, many, how many does your wife have there with her? I know you you sell a, a quite well, a few, but it changes. She she just uh, dispersed a litter of thirteen okay puppies. Um, I would say with sisters, brothers, mom and dad, probably four adults, maybe five. Yeah. But mm. and she's coming over here this Saturday. Oh, um, yeah. She our daughter's watching the ranch. She she tried to thin the thin the population down, but um. You know, it's it's one of those things where, um, for now, the ranch uh, is just a gift from God. Up on the, we're almost at ten thousand feet altitude, so there's a unique weather patterns, right. and um, you know, it's it's got God has given us a unique situation. I got a men's group that meets in the, in a in a garage every Friday morning when I'm there, and our little country church uh, was. It is just kind of a side story, but it, it went through three pastors in five years, mm. just really um, legalistic and bad situations. And so the, the church membership went from 100 to 40 to 30 to where we were eight. Wow. And the pastors li- literally chased the people away mm. it, it, by, by virtue of preaching punitive, uh, legalistic, non, non-scriptural things, really. Mm. And so we were we were um, called to rebuild that and 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 um, get an interim pastor who's now become the permanent pastor and it's it's really neat to see things coming back alive. Mm-hmm. But what I would say, I don't know where this fits in, but 
taking my courses at Dallas, if, if for no other reason, played a very helpful role in, in mapping out the church mm-hmm. policy doctrine, right? Statement of, faith, statement of faith. What do we believe and why do we believe it? So the seven uh, truths that we all agree on that, that are non-negotiable, and then the 13, we understand that, which are the good Christians differ, but here's where we stand on it. Yeah. That one document saved our was was very helpful because right. a lot of people would come by and say, "Wow, that was this what oh God, here we here here it is. This is what we stand for. You have to put a stake down and for better or for worse, declare these are non-negotiables, they are not uh, they're in scripture, they're absolutes, but you have to um, be ready for all the hooligans that come and and, and the further you are out in the mountains. They're the more, the more the number of hooligans that come around <laughs> yeah. that, that, you know, that are name it, claim it, uh, word of faith, uh, prosperity theology, just every single kind of belief. Yeah. A lot of them run to the mountains because they can't fit in with the mainstream churches. Yeah. So we had them showing up, and we just give them the statement of faith. This is what we're going to go with. And the eight of us, eight out of eight, signed off on it. So that that's kind of a little story in there that when I – when I'd come home uh, for that one week out of the month, uh, I rolled my sleeves up and provided some some good old fashioned theology, biblical leadership, and and a little bit of uh, grit. Yeah, because uh, people were the vultures were circling on this church, and the enemy said, "I got this church right where I want it," and and uh, you know I I, I can be a, a fighter at times, but. I don't think you want to mess with Anne Marie, my wife. She she's a she's a cowgirl. Yeah, she'll. You said, husband, get home. We need to get things rolling. And, and uh, she, you know, I think we worked together with the eight, and God God blessed us with a really neat pastor who has just been helping the shepherding healing. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of a neat little story that 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 was that crept up on us. Mm-hmm. Well, tell uh, you um, told us about uh, kind of your journey through those two years. Um, working with the uh, Trump administration and the Biden administration. Uh, what made you leave? I, I needed eight more months to be eligible to retire as a civilian employee in the government. So the, 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 the textbook answer should be that I should have stayed uh-huh. because you don't give up. I mean, it, it, basically the formula is you, you do your military retirement and then you, you do your civilian service. And if you get five you can minimum you can retire. So I was sitting there thinking I was going to do that and see what happens. And it was a good position. Very, very uh, rewarding working with really good people. I got a call from a company that was uh, setting up these, the, the Saudis. Mm-hmm. They had been in UAE, United Arab Emirates and um, the Saudis wanted to become joint in their, in their quest to become a vision 2030, um, the new crown prince Prime Minister MBS Mohammed bin Salam, uh, young man, thirty-seven years old. Um, he wanted to become joint. So when you joint, is taking each of your services and bringing them together to work in harmony, mm-hmm. integrated. Um, we did it forty years ago and have, you know, worked at it ever since. Um, he wanted to bring that. So we're working with other international partners, but we're the lead country. So our government set up a foreign military sales contract. This company was doing it. I don't know how he got my name, maybe another Coastie, I guess, but uh, the, one of the owners called me, and 
he was just uh, persuasive. Mm-hmm. And um, it's that job that if you got called at Geisinger or wherever you, you, you would say, well, no, I'm, I'm happy. But when you, when you tell him, when you tell your wife and you, and you share it with the Lord and, and it's like th- thumbs up. Well, yeah, but yeah, but uh, what about this? And all those, yeah, buts go away. And again, if you're at peace with the Lord, Romans 5, because of what he did, we are at peace. The secret things are his. He gives us freedom. So I'm kind of in that season of life where the only thing left then is my wife. Mm-hmm. You know, 1A is God, 1B is Anne Marie. And she said, hey, um, go enjoy, and I'll, I'll come over and visit you. And she's coming this Saturday for two months. Yeah, We're going to do two weeks in Israel. But again, when you get here... <clears throat> Your wife calls you and says, hey, how's it going? After you're there like a month or two. And I'm like, there it is. Again, it's, it's, there are things happening here that God uses to validate, substantiate, and confirm. And I've shared this with you before, but he, only he can do that. Mm-hmm. If it's not supposed to happen, you'll be here. You'll either get fired or you'll get let go or the Saudis won't like you or you'll, and you'll be home. But when I get here, the Lord just sets the stage. It's clear that he's prepared the way, and he's fulfilling his purpose and answering a prayer, Lord, can I join you in what you're doing? And I, I'll just leave it at that. I, I've had some amazing opportunities, uh, preaching, teaching, and I'm doing seminary. But uh, I've also had Muslims just cold hits come up to me and say, we want to get to know you. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so when I share that with my wife, my wife goes, "Okay, well, what more do you need to know that for now that's right where you're supposed to be?" And you've had it happen in your jobs, you've had it happen in your family, and you know when you come home, you and Robin, you and uh, remind me your wife's name, Denine, Denine, yep, Denine. The two of you talk, and you go, "There it is." Yeah. The beauty of the Savior. You witness what David calls, you know, the beauty of the Savior. Yeah, and. Tell you know me. you're right where you're supposed to be. Tell me what the Saudis are like, the people. Yeah, great question. Um, <laughs> great question. I I I think they're amazing. They're they're beautiful, and I love them. They 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 they're friendly. They're receptive. They're warm. They love Americans. Uh, they they want to send their kids there to be educated. Um, they're gracious, kind, at at heart. And then their religion, on top of that, tells them they get earned points if they're 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 in favor with Allah if, if they do it well. Mm-hmm. So you got layers of kindness and generosity and hospitality that are just phenomenal. Um, so they're smart and and they've been able to. They're a wealthy country, very affluent, so they've been able to purchase what they needed. So when when I encounter my officers, my Saudi officers that I work with. Um, they want to learn how to learn. They want to learn how to study. They want to learn because they've been able to purchase what they needed, mm-hmm. outsource security, outsource, outsource. And what happens is um, you outsource to a point where um, you enjoy a, a level of um, uh, the, the critical thinking and analysis is, is the piece that you still have to find a way in unless you have a, a, a war, you're attacked or something really nasty, you kind of just are able to uh, enjoy 
enjoy the uh, safety. So things are changing here. This country called Iran has proxies and surrogates that are doing some very nasty things. So the crown prince is a very popular leader. He's got transformation going on at a pretty fast pace. I've seen major change since I was here in 2019. And quite honestly, I fit. I, they fit. I fit with them and they fit with me. And if they like you, you're, you're going to stay. They're going to they're find something for you. And um, I've developed a lot of friendships. And uh, the professional piece, I was here as the senior American before. This time I'm here with like 80 to 100 Army, largely Army, um, other other services. But I would say that our, our mission is a contract where we support uh, the Saudis in becoming, and, and this coalition of trainers, to become joint and effective and transformational in their in their uh, military capabilities to be a joint service, integrated, uh, active defense in a competition environment. So we train, teach, train, advise, assist, and mentor. Um, and some days are, are uh, relatively boring and, and just a classroom professor, teacher, writer. Other days are pretty, pretty exciting. And, you know, you have a active, active uh, Middle East with Iran to the, to the east, Iraq to the north, east, uh, Yemen with, a, with a, war, a war zone on the southwest border. So there's stuff going on that is not theoretical. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and, and so Americans are highly regarded, and we have a, a, a valuable role to play. Um, you know, the politics change a bunch of things here and there, but ultimately they know that our president's and election process changes every two, four years. Mm-hmm. So they're, 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 they're smart. They're very smart on this. How does that, uh, how does it jive with America's interests? Uh, I think it, it, it's a direct correlation because depending on how, how Washington decides the energy policy, uh, Saudi Arabia is a strategic partner of the highest order mm-hmm. when it comes to, providing us with uh, petrochemicals to support a lot of things in our country. Mm-hmm. Uh, so without getting political, I would tell you that if you shut off the water at your house and you choose not to use your water to live by, that you need to live by, um, you go to the neighbor next door, which is Saudi Arabia, and our U.S. comes to Saudi Arabia, hey, you got, got any oil? Could you, could you regulate OPEC? Could you do... And what if that leader goes, no. Mm-hmm. Okay, now you have an interesting dilemma. You have a dynamic where the current leader, MBS, Crown Prince, um, Prime Minister, looks at our, our nation, our leadership, and says, you did it to yourself. Uh, we'll, we'll do what we can, but we're not going to just take orders from you mm-hmm. because you want to drink our water. You shut yours off. Why don't you open the spigot? So it's, I'm oversimplifying it. Right. But it's not that far off. Yeah. Got it. And, and hopefully this, pod, <laughs> hopefully this podcast won't, won't propagate too far to it's the Middle right. East, but they are very smart over here. And yeah. 
And sometimes they might actually ask uh, international consultants for advice, and 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 they would they would also offer possible courses of action. Mm-hmm. And we 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 are they are a strategic partner who we trust, and and we are a strategic partner that they trust. This pol- political winds blow, and it doesn't change the fact that they know if things got nasty in the Middle East, what country would come to help them. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be Russia or China right. or North Korea. There's only one country. So when, I, when we interact with their leadership, we know what's what and what the deal is. They know and we know that we're both strategic partners and reliable mm-hmm. partners. And things happen like this. Yeah. But, but they're, they're also very... They've got to look out for their own, their own situation, and, and ensure they're they're resilient in their thinking. Mm-hmm. And so we're here as part of their quest to become diversified, successful, and vibrant economy, and successful in their military uh, joint operations. Okay, cool. Um- I, I always ask every guest two questions at the end, but I'm going to add a third one because Ooh. I, I, I um, we didn't talk, we talked a little bit about your family, but you didn't talk a lot about your, uh, we didn't talk a lot about your, about your kids. Um, this is a, you could take this opportunity if you want, but what, what do you want your kids to know? What do you want your grandkids to know? What do you want your great grandkids to know? You know, I, I think that, he loved the Lord. He feared the Lord. He loved God's word. He cared about us and used his talents to glorify the Lord. Mm. And other than that, I, I, I can't, you know, I, I would have a lot more to say in my, in the past. Uh, but I don't think I'm a very, this is a tough question, but I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna try this. Mm-hmm. I'm I don't think I'm a very good. I'm not I'm good at a lot of things, but I'm not a very good father or husband at times. And and this is a hard this is a hard question to answer. But where I have conviction, even recently, is I just can't answer the mail. Um, writing a book, providing guidance, consulting. You know, that that's that comes a little easier but uh kids are hard i mean we I, I have i have four they're all four very different um but you know colson each colson is is at a point where he really needs his dad mm-hmm. so we we connect and and so all the other three are at different points but i know right now there's one that <laughs> and and so i'm having some good satisfaction there and he's he's um, really ready, finally, finally, you know, and found a lady who he's excited about. So uh, I think seasons of life, I have roles to play in, in, in their lives. I, I, I rely heavily on Anne-Marie, uh, but I'd like them to know that I love them deeply and um, I'm going to, I'm going to pursue God heavily. And in that, in so doing, ask him to, to help me be be faithful and, and to him first and where I can with them. Uh, I think growing up when they're younger, we have the opportunity to shape 
invest and and be very tactical. Um, honestly, on their best day, you know, I, I can't I can't put them up there with with God and Anne Marie. I mean, I, they 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 have a role, and so that's a tough one for me. You know, I, I I'm not the traditional grandfather who shows up all the time, so I try to make up for it in other ways. Um, but I would say that that's an area that I'm not to be if you know to be totally honest. I, I'm just not uh, as uh, doing as well as I think I should, and and I, I need help with that. That's a lot of the prayer time. So kids, grandkids, uh, yeah. And I look at my dad and say, you know, what he gave me, he didn't show up to a lot of my sporting events. He was out serving the Lord and going going full throttle and all that. I didn't know it at the time, but I, I think I look back now and say, that's the great gift he gave me that he 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 made he put God first. Mm-hmm. And um, we all have to wrestle with that individually. And there's there's the sign on the on all of our you know in our kitchen that says you know what have I gained what what has life you know what have I gained if I conquered all these and I would did, ran across the world and did all this and my kids aren't following the Lord mm-hmm. yeah so so we have to f- work on that we have to acknowledge that and ask God to help us and. When I succeed, it's great, exciting. I praise the Lord. When I don't, and and I and I and I have that right now. Uh, there's one one area where I'm not satisfied, and I don't feel. I tell you what, in order to do this podcast, I had to spend a good bit of time in prayer to feel confident in talking with you guys and looking you in the eye, because there's a part of me that's not content with where I'm at with one of my kids, mm-hmm. and without going into the details. Um, that's why we need each other. And the Lord says, Dane, I've, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I love you and, and died for you, and it's finished. When you're with Nevin and Troy, they are your brothers. You are spending time with the very guys I put in your life to help you reconcile that. And guess what? You aren't the best father that you could be, and I'll help you with that. So I just put it, without over-spiritualizing it, I just put that in the context and you can tell the way I'm talking about it that it, it's, you know, I'm still working through it. Yeah. Anne-Marie's on her way over here, and we're going to hopefully have some some quality time together in and, and, uh, two months, so we'll, we'll, we'll have some fun. When he talks about Emery, gets a big smile, doesn't he? <laughs> he does. He perks up. Yeah. Well, listen, uh, she's going to come over there, and you guys are going to have a great time together, and you're going to two weeks in the Holy Land, and I know that the two of you are going to seek God's uh, guidance in all that. So, um, uh, yeah, thank you for sharing that. Uh, the, um, and we'll talk, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll keep talking, but, uh, two more questions. One is if you, and I think I know the answer to this. If you were to pick somebody, uh, that you kind of look up to as a hero, inspiration and idol, it could be anybody from the past. It could be current, whatever, whoever, uh, who would you pick? Well, I mean, my dad for sure, because he was an orphan. He grew up on the other side of the tracks. He wasn't, uh, if it wasn't for coaches and teachers taking an interest in him, his dad was a World War I PTSD town drunk. Mm-hmm. He didn't have a father. So the more I learn about my father and the more older I get, I realize how much he overcame. And he was just totally fearless, mm-hmm. totally sold out. And I, I admire and respect that greatly. And, uh, 
you know, and, and even his imperfections I have reconciled because <laughs> look at myself, I, I still struggle. You know, I, I don't have it all together. But, um, yeah, and, and I would say there's there's a guy right now, he's a, he's a Muslim that may surprise you, but I admire this guy. He he came to me and he said, I want to get to know you. I want to know, know what you, you know, he, he, he was going to come to the expo. So there's a, there's a degree of admiration for even the even this young guy that I'm starting to meet. So th- there's always one person like that that's in my current orbit mm-hmm. that I'm that I'm really uh, a- amazed at what God is is doing. And, and and there's an element of that courage mm-hmm. and that bravery that I think we all admire. But yeah, my dad my dad would be. Um, and and the other thing about my dad was uh, he didn't have a men's group. He didn't have a lot of the support and. And, and ideas and, and awareness that, that we have the benefit of, yet he um, he stayed with it. Mm-hmm. And um, the courage that he had under fire, um, yeah, he, he just – and and uh, he lived till he was 90. And, and he, one time I was sitting out on the back porch, and he was kind of in and out. He came back out to the door, and he yells, in the end, God wins. <laughs> just that was it. You know, he was yeah. kind of at the end. The end, and, and it was kind of his his declaration. His, you know, the 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 uh, the warrior was was just yelling out to his middle son, "Hey, buddy, God wins, and we're on his team." Yeah. It was just one of his last times that he that I remember him just kind of pull, pulling himself yeah. uh, and just letting it rip. How many wordless bracelets do you think that man handed out in his time? <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, thousands. Mind-boggling. Uh, I still have people mind-boggling to, to think about how many of those he's probably made and handed out to to folks. And yeah, I, I knew you were going to pick your dad. I, I just knew that, but that's that's great, yeah. man. All right, last question. Uh, this is your chance to speak to the men of America. What is your message for the men of America? Well, it's funny. It's funny you should ask that. I I uh, wrote. I, I was anticipating that question. I have. Can I say seven real quick things? Yes. Number one, fear the Lord, Proverbs one, seven and nine ten. Number two, repent and believe, trust Him by faith, Mark one fifteen. A lot of guys are running around and they're talking good, singing good, walking good. They don't know the Lord as their personal Savior. Right. Repent and believe what Jesus said. That's it by by faith. Mark one fifteen, because then it opens the door. Number three, grow in the knowledge and understanding of our Lord and Savior. Second Peter three seventeen and eighteen. That's why I'm going to seminary. By the way, mm-hmm. I read that in my devotions, and the Lord said, "There it is. Yeah. Do not lose your own stability. Grow in the knowledge and understand." So a lot of guys are biblically illiterate. They can do F three. They can do dancing, line dancing. They can do a lot of hum a jum, you know, woof, woof, but they don't know the word of God. Right. And you're handicapped and you're vulnerable to the enemy. Grow in the knowledge. That's Peter, the ruffian fisherman. Mm-hmm. Number four, immerse yourself in, this, in the scriptures. Psalm 119 has 176 verses devoted to one theme, the word of God. Number five, become a student of the word. This book will lead you to. This book will keep you from sin, and sin will keep you from this book. Dwight Moody. Mm-hmm. Follow Jesus 
and seek and save the lost. You show me a man that is not an evangelist. Show me a man that's not trying to win souls for the Lord. I'll show you someone that I'm not sure is a believer. Mm. That's not for me to decide. But in Luke 19, Jesus says, I have come to seek and save the lost. Zacchaeus, let's go to your house. And he didn't go over here to the flash. He didn't go here for the dance. He went home with Zacchaeus and he said, I've come to seek and save the lost. And number seven is evangelism. Join God in what he is doing. So those seven things I wrote because that's what I want to be remembered for. Mm-hmm. When you stand over my casket and my kids and grandkids, I really won't cry too much in my casket about what they say, I, how many times I visited them or whatever. But those seven things are what um, my dad wanted to be remembered for. It's what I want. And and guys, um, we need to rally around around the Lord and his word. Mm-hmm. Ah, amen to that, brother. Speaking of his word, um, this verse uh, comes to mind to me often, uh, and especially when I talk to you. And so it's Second Chronicles 16, 9. It says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. That's the beginning of that verse. And uh, I think that we spoke to a high-impact man today <laughs> Yeah, wow. who fits that verse. Uh-huh. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. Dial up. You Thank anything, you. You got anything else for me? I, I got. I got nothing. This uh, interview was everything I thought it would be, and plus a little bit. So yeah. Can I pray for you guys? Absolutely. Yeah. Send us out, Heavenly brother. Father, dear Lord, Heavenly Father, I just ask that you bless this podcast and uh, Nev and Troy and their families, and that you would go before us even now, Lord, and uh, fulfill your purpose for our lives. Protect and watch over us. Thank you for the relationships we've been given among our churches, our fellowship, and our men's groups. I just ask that you would expand the boundaries of our faith and our vision. And we thank you for the churches there in the, in the area there in Pennsylvania that um, are supporting and encouraging our men. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Appreciate your time. Nice being with you. Yeah. Amen. All right. Come visit Riverside sometime when you get a chance. Got it. We'll uh, do. I, I, in fact, I'll be there um, in uh, April, May, sometime. Uh, awesome. So I'll, I'll give. I'll, I'll let you know. Yeah, hit us up. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. I would like to thank our guests for joining us and sharing their story of becoming a high impact man. More information and resources can be found at highimpactman.com. If you like this podcast, please consider following us on our social media pages or email us at him at highimpactman.com. That is H-I-M at highimpactman.com. The High Impact Man podcast has a new episode every week, and you can find them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcast platforms. Have a great week, everyone.